And uh, I love that Greek music actually there. That is from Aaron McKillop's personal vinyl record collection. I just wanted to let you know about that because uh, so if you're looking for any random sort of music, he's got Greek music, he's got Happy Hammond organ music, all sorts of stuff. He's got an amazing um, record collection, Aaron. Um, unlike his biceps, uh, which are not so amazing. You know, he had to do like about 300 push-ups before he filmed that to actually get any action happening there at all. Yeah, you know, it actually, it's actually true, yes. It's all right, mate. He, he, he's been, um, I've been paying out on him ever since he was about 16 because he walked into the Cheltenham service one evening, I think it was, or one morning, and, uh, and he'd heard that I'd been training at the gym and he walked in, this 16-year-old, this you know, cheeky little character, hasn't, hasn't actually changed that much, and he, he walked in and he looked me up and down and he goes, when did you stop training? So, yeah, I know it was a joke. Of course you can tell I still train. And uh, so anyway, we've been delightfully paying out on each other ever since, which has been a lot of fun. Wonderful. Well, it's a chilly morning. And uh, that almost needs to be said with an Irish accent. Christy is back, by the way, from Ireland. And, uh, and, for, and Gigi as well. She turned 17 last Tuesday. So I have a 17-year-old now. I'm, I'm, I'm too young to be this old. And she's driving. One of the delightful things that I, I've heard Irish people say, understanding that Irish jokes, we think they're jokes, they're actually true stories. They really have happened uh, in Ireland. And my mother-in-law was telling me one day, and it has to be said with an Irish accent, she said, 15 degrees in Ireland is warmer than it is in Australia. <laughs> and she said it with a straight face. I said, no, Nana, I said, 15 degrees is 15 degrees. And she goes, no, 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 15 degrees in Ireland is warmer than 15 degrees in Australia. So I couldn't convince her otherwise. But uh, welcome back from WA, mate. It's good over there. It's my home state. Bring on the sand gropers. WA actually stands for warmer Australia, doesn't it? It snowed in Queensland the other day. I thought it was delightful irony. Uh, we have any Queenslanders here? Not one? One. Goodness. How did you get in here? <laughs> Queenslanders have been gloating for years, you know, the whole thing, uh, was it beautiful one day, perfect the next? So, delightful irony, it snowed in southern Queensland, beautiful, love it. Well, it's good to be here today and I want to wrap up the, um, the uh, Happy Life series. We've been on this for eight weeks as we've been uh, teaching through the Beatitudes of Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount from uh, Matthew chapter 8. So the message notes are online on our Bayside Church website. You just click on weekly message and it'll bring up the uh, message notes for you. Uh, or you can take your own notes. They're also on the YouVersion Bible app. If you are taking your own notes, the title of today's message is Blessed Are the Persecuted. And I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, please. I know it's cold. Don't worry about it. It's cool. Literally. Matthew chapter 5. And uh going to read verses 10 through 12. And... Uh, here Jesus starts to talk about the persecuted. He says, blessed are those who persecuted, who are persecuted. And I want you to notice there, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11, blessed are you when people insult you, really? Persecute you and falsely say 
all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, as we open your word, we also make a decision right now to open our hearts, to open our minds. Lord, I pray that we bring every thought captive at this point. We make a decision to stop thinking about lunch and sausage sizzles and how cold our feet are or anything that concerns us right now. We want to focus on you and your word. We thank you for everlasting, life-changing truth. And we ask, Lord God, in these next few minutes that you would speak to each and every one of us, that you will encourage us and strengthen us and give us practical insight, truth that we can apply to everyday life, that we might not just be blessed, but be a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Blessed are the persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I want you to notice there that Jesus actually comes full circle uh, in the Beatitudes because the first Beatitude was blessed are the poors, uh, the poor rather, the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So he comes back to this whole thought uh, about the kingdom of heaven here, uh, which is very important that we understand. The kingdom of heaven is a synonymous term with the kingdom of God, and it's not out there somewhere, it's actually in here somewhere. Jesus said very clearly, he said, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is within you. And the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven is anywhere where King Jesus rules and reigns. It's not a geographical location. It's in you. Wherever you go, uh, you take the kingdom of God with you or the kingdom of heaven with you. That's why our prayer that, that when the disciples went to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Part of that very brief prayer was your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so part of the Christian job is not just about gathering here as a family on a Sunday morning, but it's as we go out through the week, everywhere we go, we're to take his kingdom with us, his rule and reign, so that we're a blessing wherever we go, amongst our family, our friends, in our workplaces, everywhere we go becomes the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. And these beatitudes give us great truths so that as we live these truths out, we literally do bring heaven to earth. And so this one is about being persecuted. And I want you to, I'm going to touch on two things here. First of all is the reason for persecution. And secondly is the response to persecution. So let me uh, kind of flesh those things out for you. Number one, the reason for persecution. And Jesus makes it really clear. And, and if you've got a Bible, you can underline these statements. He says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. So persecution that flows from righteousness, that is being in right relationship with God. And then he clarifies that later and he says, uh, uh, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And so this persecution here is happening because of Jesus in your life. 
And as you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as you read into the book of Acts, as you read into church history, the first three centuries, we realize that people were persecuted for no other reason than their association with Jesus. And it's important that we understand this truth, church, because sometimes people say, oh, I'm being persecuted, but they're not actually being persecuted because of righteousness. They're being or being persecuted because of association with Jesus. They're actually being persecuted, if you like, because they're doing and saying the wrong thing. Some people have a persecution complex. In fact, they actually delight in being picked on because it kind of affirms them in their idea of their faith. But if they behaved in the right way, they wouldn't be persecuted at all. Now, when I refer to a persecution complex, I'm not talking about a persecutory delusion, which is a mental illness. I'm, I'm not referring to that in any way. I'm talking about a persecution complex, which is a perception of being persecuted for various possible reasons, often imagined reasons, and it's particularly prevalent amongst fundamentalist religious people. Uh, and when I say fundamentalists, I'm talking about fundamentalists of any religion. They can be Christian fundamentalists. They can be Muslim fundamentalists. They can be Buddhist fundamentalists or Hindu fundamentalists. Um, but, but they have a perception of being persecuted and they think it's because of their faith. Now, I, wanted to I want to define for you what I mean when I say fundamentalists. There is a difference between the fundamentals of our faith and being fundamentalist in our faith. So as a Christian and, and as Bayside Church, we hold strongly to the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And, and the fundamentals, the basics, if you like, are, are, are everything to do with Jesus and who he is, that is 100% human, 100% divine. What he did, being born into the human family, living as a human being on this planet, uh, dying on a cross and rising again so that people might be fully saved, ascended into heaven. And right now he is interceding for us. The Bible says because Jesus is praying for us, he is able to save us completely. That's a fundamental very encouraging truth right there. Anyone ever felt, I wonder if I'm actually going to make it? Because, you know, sometimes we, we know our own weaknesses, we know our own failings, and it's very easy to think, oh, you know, maybe I'm just not going to be good enough. Well, good news, we're not good enough. Be better news, He is. Yeah. Amen. And His grace is sufficient. He's praying for us. You're going to make it. Rest in that truth. Some of you came to church this morning just to hear that statement. And so right now, Jesus is praying for us to save us completely. One day, he's going to come back and establish his kingdom on this earth or on the new earth. And we will live in a place where righteousness dwells forever and ever. They are the fundamentals of the Christian faith. And I am fundamental on those truths. Everything else is negotiable. That's why there's so many discussions on, on all sorts of things in the Bible, like when Jesus is going to come back. Is it pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? Is there a trib at all? 
Uh, you know, is there a rapture? Is there not a rapture? There are all of these different things that, that people discuss. And none of those things affect our salvation. And so we can talk about those. We can, we can have discussions on those things. We can agree to disagree with one another. And that's fine because it doesn't affect our salvation. But when it comes to the fundamentals, we hold to those fast. They're, they're our, our point of unity in a church. Who Jesus is, what Jesus did, what Jesus is doing, and what Jesus will do. So we believe in the fundamentals, but I've got to say, I am not a fundamentalist. And this church is not a fundamentalist church. Let me give you a definition of a fundamentalist. A fundamentalist is a person who takes their religion so literally and to such extremes that they contradict the very basis of their faith. And so right now we're seeing Muslim fundamentalism or Islamic fundamentalism in the world. Now, I have met over the years many, many Muslim people who are absolutely delightful people, loving people, peace-loving people, and, and they are so embarrassed about this section of their faith that goes around beheading people, blowing people up, hijacking aircraft and flying them into buildings and all of that kind of thing. That's what religious fundamentalism will do. It takes it to such an extreme that they end up contradicting the very faith that they say they believe in. We find the same with Christian fundamentalists. If you're a student of church history, you can read all sorts of stuff that Christians have done over the years uh, that, were, that are absolutely horrendous. One of the most important truths in the Word of God is love your neighbor as yourself. It's repeated nine times in Scripture. Love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, the Apostle Paul in the book of Galatians said that we can summarize the entire Old Covenant Scriptures, all 602,000 words in five words. Love your neighbor as I can't ever do that. I don't want to give you the root finger. <laughs> As yourself. All five words. Isn't that amazing? 602,000 words and he says, let me give you five words. Love your neighbor as yourself. Summarizes all of that. Um, James called it the royal law. In other words, the most important law in Scripture is love your neighbor as yourself. And yet you find Christian fundamentalists who, who speak and act and behave in such a way that they do not communicate love your neighbor as yourself with the world around us. And, and because they're fundamentalists, they end up actually denying or contradicting the very faith that they say that they believe in. Jesus was constantly harassed and persecuted by religious fundamentalism in Judaism of his day. In fact, invariably through the Gospels, we read about Jesus doing good things on the Sabbath day. He healed people and did all sorts of really good things on the Sabbath day, and the religious leaders didn't like it. If you have a look at Matthew chapter 12 sometime, you don't need to read it right now, but read Matthew chapter 12. And here, Jesus is doing good things on the Sabbath day, and the religious fundamentalists of his day come and challenge him. Why are you doing good stuff on the Sabbath day? There are six days you can heal people. Why today? And, and Jesus said, I desire mercy rather than sacrifice. And, and then the, the, these religious fundamentalists go away and they plot 
how they might kill Jesus. Anyone spot the inconsistency in what they're trying to do? These guys who say, yes, I believe in God and I follow the law of God and love your neighbor as yourself, let's kill him. And fundamentalism will always do that. Some Christians, are, they say they're being persecuted for their faith, but they're not. They're being persecuted for what they think their faith is, which is actually a perversion of real Christianity. Let me give you some examples. Because I think sometimes Christians blame far too much on persecution. Example number one. I got fired from my job. I'm a Christian. I'm being persecuted. Answer, no, you were lazy. You always arrived late. You spent too much time talking instead of working. You're not being persecuted. Example number two. My family doesn't talk to me because I'm a Christian and I always speak the truth. I'm being persecuted. No, you always dominate family discussions by Bible bashing and you have to steer every conversation to make it about Jesus. You're not being persecuted. You're an idiot. <laughs> Some of you may have read about the, the story of the two uh, Christian bakers in the United States. Um, the, only, only a small amount of this story has actually uh, hit the headlines. They, they, what, what we perceived originally was that they had refused to bake a wedding cake uh, for a lesbian couple who wanted to get married. Um, and, uh, and in their refusing of that, the lesbian couple sued the Christians. And, and so these, this Christian couple, the Kleins, are saying that they're being persecuted. Now, there's a, there's a whole lot in this story, but the thing that hasn't come out so much that we need to understand is that, first of all, the Kleins gave them a pretty heavy serve of Leviticus and called them detestable and abominations. Uh, that's not a great way to win people to Jesus. Just, just a thought there. You know, you're an abomination. Thank you. Tell me more about this Jesus of yours. The other thing that hasn't come out so much, which I think is really important to say here, is that Aaron Klein, the, the, uh, the Christian guy who heads up this bakery, took the personal information of these two ladies, their home address, their phone number and their email address, and posted it in public on his Facebook page. What ensued there was a litany of death threats and hate threats against these two women from many of them from Christian fundamentalists. So the women who uh, foster two young girls uh, were in danger of losing their fostering of these two young girls because they were unable to keep these two young girls safe from all of the death threats and hate threats that were coming against them. It was actually that that they ended up suing the clients for, not for refusing to bake a cake. I want to just say to you right now, the, 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 the cause of the gospel and the message of good news in Jesus Christ has been limited as a result of two Christian fundamentalists and many other fundamentalists in America behaving in that way. Where does all of that fit into love your neighbor as yourself? And loving your neighbor as yourself is highly attractive 
the good news of Jesus that we are sinners, but that God loves us and gives, his, gives us his grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the message that we are to be taking to the world, church. It's good news. It's attractive. Everyday people loved Jesus, and it was the religious that would keep them away. In Matthew chapter 23, Jesus made an accusation against the religious fundamentalists of the day. He said, not only are you not entering the kingdom of God, but you're, you're, you're building walls to keep other people out. This church will never do that. I, I pray. So persecution is not about people getting into trouble because they've done the wrong thing or acting in the wrong way. You are blessed when you're persecuted for righteousness and simply because of your association with Jesus. Have a look at 1 Peter chapter 3 with me, please. Let's all turn there together. 1 Peter chapter 3. And let's see what Peter says here about this very subject. 1 Peter chapter 3, and uh, we're going to pick it up from verse 8. And he says here, finally, all of you, live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you might inherit a blessing. Think about those qualities there. These are the qualities that we as, as uh, men and women of God, as, um, as uh, Jesus Sons and daughters are to reflect compassionate love and humility, great qualities. If someone comes at us with evil, we don't give them evil back. If someone insults us, we, we respond with blessing. That word blessing there means to speak well of. And, and it says there the reason we do that is so that we might inherit a blessing. For whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace, seek peace rather, and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are attentive to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Who is going to harm you if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, there's no room for Bible bashing there at family events or even amongst your friends. The person that is to start the conversation, if there is to be a conversation about faith, is the person who may not have faith yet or might be inquiring. And they ask you a question and you're ready to answer them. But even in your answer, you give that answer with gentleness. You give that answer with respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. So if you're going to suffer for Jesus, make sure it's because you're doing good. You're doing the right thing, not the wrong thing. So you're doing everything right in life because you're a Jesus follower but people are insulting you, persecuting you, saying all kinds of things against you falsely. How do we respond? Let's touch on that. 
as I wrap up this uh, message. So number two is the response to persecution. If you are genuinely facing persecution or if someone is simply giving you a hard time through no fault of your own, then I want to give you two principles on how to respond to persecution. And I want to, before I just give you these principles, I want to say these are completely counterintuitive. These go against the grain. These are not ways that we naturally respond uh, to persecution or when someone gives us a hard time. And so the first, the first thing we are to do when people persecute us, rejoice and be glad. Ha! <laughs> You've got to be joking. Really? Rejoice and be glad. That's what Jesus says. And he gives us two reasons why we can give this, why we can do this. We can rejoice and be glad because we've got a great future. And we can rejoice and be glad because we're in good company. He said, you can rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. You've got a great future. In other words, you know something that they don't know. So someone's insulting you. <laughs> Hallelujah. For the right reason. And you're in good company in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so that's number one. Because so often we, you know, when we're persecuted and insulted and people are saying false things about us, our first response is not to rejoice. The first thing we want to give them is the fivefold ministry. Isn't that right? <laughs> the laying on of fists. And then the second thing we do, the second response to persecution is minister in the opposite spirit. I'm going to explain what that means. We taught a whole series on this uh, a while ago called Take the High Road. Uh, there are five messages uh, online. If you go onto our Bayside Church website, click on weekly message, and down the right-hand side, it brings up a menu, and one of those is archived messages, and you'll find a whole lot of teaching series there. They're all available free of charge. And uh, they're all in alphabetical order. So just go down to T, take the high road. And there's five messages there about ministering in the opposite spirit. Uh, if you're taking notes, write down Luke chapter 6, verses 27 and 28. Luke 6, 27, 28. And here Jesus is talking about ministering in the opposite spirit. In other words, the opposite way to the way we want to respond or react when people are persecuting us, insulting us, and saying things falsely about us. First of all, he says here, love your enemies. Love your enemies. After all, you made them. Some of you are a bit slow this morning. <laughs> Number two, he says, do good to those who hate you. Really? Someone hates me. What do I want to do? Hate them back. But we minister in the opposite spirit. We do good to them. Look for opportunities to do good to those who hate you. Number three, he says, bless those who curse you. The word curse means to speak evil. And, and the word bless means to speak well of, ministering in the opposite spirit. And then fourthly, he says, pray for those who mistreat you. And the prayer here is particularly for their salvation that they would come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. I want to take you to one more passage of Scripture before we wrap up. Romans chapter 12, if you would turn there with me. Romans 12. Hi, James. Did you win? Oh, just training. Oh, okay. Cool. Basketball. So you're warmer than we are. <laughs> I should get you all up and we should do some star jumps or something. Just to... 
Yeah, maybe not. Romans chapter 12. We'll just get Aaron up here to do some push-ups. Romans chapter 12, verse 14. Have a look at that. This is about ministering in the opposite spirit. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Go down to verse 17. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. This is important. Verse 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. I love the reality of that. Sometimes it's not possible to live at peace with everybody, even when you've done everything you can do. Verse 19, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. And so we are not to take revenge, we're to take a step back. And if God wants to revenge for you, then he's able to do that. But we're not allowed to take revenge on other people. And, but then in verse 20, he says, on the contrary. And then he starts talking about this ministering in the opposite spirit. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. And, and don't poison the food. Uh, if he is thirsty, give him hemlock to drink. I'm sure that it says that in the original Greek. Yeah. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's ministering in the opposite spirit. Why? Because good is more powerful than evil. So don't, don't allow evil to overcome you. Overcome evil by ministering in the opposite spirit and do good to those people. I used to love that verse there. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. And I used to think, that sounds very good to me. You're giving me a hard time. Come here. Let me fry your brain. And then I realized what it actually really means. I was actually, I've got to say, a, a little disappointed. But it's referring back to the culture of the day. And you still see this, actually, in some countries, in Africa, for example, and some other countries where you see women walking down the road with a basket on their head. And uh, this is the practice uh, in, in the Middle East, in Palestine of Jesus' day, um, and, and also in, in, in other parts of the world. Uh, the, the lady of the house would have to keep a fire burning in the house at all times, uh, not just to keep them warm, but also for cooking. But occasionally, of course, the fire would go out. And so the role of the lady was, uh, well, one of her jobs was to put a clay pot on her head and walk to her neighbor's place and ask for hot coals from the fire and uh, to, to put in the jar to the pot and to take them back to her place and then restart their fire. Now I want you to imagine this, if you didn't like your neighbor, if they'd been horrible, if they'd been persecuting you and insulting you and saying all sorts of things falsely about you, spreading rumors and gossip and innuendo and the next thing is you get this knock at your door and here's your horrible neighbor with a clay pot going, my fire's gone out, could you give me some hot coals? your natural response would be, no, shut the door. But here he's saying, no, minister in the opposite spirit. Sure, come on in. Would you like a cup of tea while you're waiting? Let me give you some hot coals. And you put the hot coals in the clay jar and she says, thank you so much, puts the clay jar back on her head, hot coals on her head, walks back to her house and restarts the fire. 
Now, I was a little disappointed, as I say, when I realized that it wasn't as vindictive as I thought it would be. There's no woo-ha-ha in this verse. It's actually talking about ministering in the opposite spirit. And so it's not easy to do. It's easy to preach. It's hard to do. But when we face persecution, rejoice and be glad and minister in the opposite spirit. Right now, there are more Christians facing persecution than in the first three centuries of the church's existence. During the week, I I had the pleasure of spending a little bit of time with Mike Gore. Mike is the new CEO of Open Doors Australia. Uh, He's a a wonderful man. We we spent a really good time uh, chatting together during the week. And uh, as a result of that, he and I did a very brief interview together. And I've talked to him and asked asked him some questions about the persecuted church and specifically how we can pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are being persecuted. And so we're going to roll that five-minute interview right now. Mike, tell us, how many persecuted Christians are there in the world today? It's a, it's a number that is highly debated, but um, conservatively, we would say that there are more than 100 million Christians who are currently persecuted. That figure was really generated before Syria and Iraq started experiencing an increase in persecution. So my guess is that that number is a lot higher. Yeah, it's a whole lot more than 100 million, which is pretty Correct. horrendous. What are the main trouble spots or hotspots with uh, persecution these days? So North Korea is still number one. A lot of us will tend to write off persecution to be specifically based around Islam, but that's not the case. So North Korea is definitely the number one spot. Uh, but we are seeing an increase in places like the Middle East, um, Syria, Iraq, and also Sub-Saharan Africa, uh, Nigeria, and Boko Haram and the Chibok girls. I'm sure many of you uh, in your church and yourself will probably remember. Yeah, very much so. Jesus made a very interesting statement. He said, uh, pray for those who persecute you and despitefully use you or bless those who persecute you. How do you actually pray for a persecutor? It's one of the biggest challenges I face in my role. You know, I lead a ministry that is all about the persecuted church. We stand up there and we, we tell people to pray, but you know, for me, it's, it's one of those questions, do I pray enough? And, and it reminds me of a girl in Uganda. She's 12 years old, her name's Susan. We work with her as a ministry. Um, she's got one of those really round faces that just lights up a room when she smiles, but you know, she comes from a staunchly Islamic family and and one day she was at school and a visiting preacher came along and he spoke about this guy called Jesus uh, who claimed to be the Son of God and was the Son of God. And, and Susan there and then decided to give her life to him and she went home, told her father. Her father was furious. In fact, um, he grabbed Susan and her younger brother. He dragged them outside of their house. He grabbed a knife, held it to their throats, called the neighbours and said, Susan, if you continue to follow Jesus... I'm going to kill you and your brother. He grabbed her, he took her back inside, he he took her into a room in the house, he placed a mat on the floor. He said to Susan, you sit on that mat and do not move until you're willing to deny Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour. He turned around, locked the door and left. Susan's father didn't return to that room for three months. In fact, the only way she survived was that that when her dad was out, a younger brother would dig a hole under the door, he would pour water into it for her to lap up like a cat. And on occasion when he had time, he would fry up some banana and slide that under for her to eat as well. Anyway, after three months, the neighbour said to her brother, where's Susan? We haven't seen her. He told them and they called the police. The police came, they opened the door and there she was sitting on the mat. In fact, after three months, the bones in her legs had begun to grow and conform to the way she'd been sitting. Her hair had turned yellow from a lack of nutrients. 
and she weighed 20 kilos, 12 years old. They rushed her to hospital and that's where Open Doors bumped into her. And I remember we asked her the simple question, Susan, why didn't you try and escape? Why didn't you try and leave? And without missing a beat, she looked back and she said, because my father said, if I was to leave that mat, I'd be denying Jesus. Wow. I couldn't do that. And then anyway, as we talked with her more, we said, well, Susan, what can we be praying for? And she smiled and she said, I want you to pray that my dad would become a Christian. Goodness. What an amazing response. It's just, it's one of those things and it challenged me because in light of your original question about praying for those who persecute you, in stories like that, I see, you know, I see things like hatred and disgust, a lack of respect, a lack of grace. And ultimately, you know, I see all of those things in me. I look at Susan's dad and I get these emotions and feelings that I'm just like, man, how could you do that? Yes, yeah. But the Bible says, bless those who persecute you. Do not curse them, bless them. And so for me and how I do that, I guess, the way I've wrestled with it is I've come back to the idea that the way I pray is number one, I'll always pray for the persecutors first. Okay. Number two, I'll pray for the persecuted because I promise you, by the time I have my mouth around a prayer for someone like Islamic State yep. or the North Korean government, my heart's in the right place to pray for the victims. So how do you pray for those who are being persecuted? Because it's, it's such a general thing, isn't it? It's like, you know, God bless the 100 million plus people who are being persecuted. How do you pray specifically? Yeah, and look, I think that that's one of the big um, challenges is that in the West and in my own life, I have rationalized the word blesses to mean good things, mean uh, materialistic things like bless me means give me that job or that car or that house and so when it comes to praying for the persecutors I wrestle with this thought of man I don't want all those good things for them but if I look at the Bible and I look back through the um, Old Testament and I see the Abrahamic blessing which was about salvation my prayer becomes now Lord save them bless them draw them to your side save them from an eternity separated from you and so it means that bless those who persecute you is actually a prayer of salvation it's not a prayer of good things and materialistic gain uh, which then means I guess when I pray for those who suffer the persecution I've got to make sure I don't use that word flippantly either sure so you be for those who are being persecuted you pray for strength yes yeah, strength I, I it gives me the opportunity to push into God and listen so in my own prayer life historically I've so often said oh Lord you know bless Rob and bless Christy you know, and the team and and I realized that it's, it's such a superficial word that means everything and means nothing and so now for those who suffer persecution, I can sit with it and say, God, what do you want for them? And it might be shelter, it might be protection, it might be just a, a new revelation of his love for them today. And so it means that I'm trying to avoid, you know, pigeonholing this word bless to just mean materialistic stuff and really use it the way I believe God intends it to be used. Wonderful. Mike, we're looking forward to having you in person at Bayside Church in 2016. Love to. Fantastic. Thanks for your time today. Thank you. A delightful guy, isn't he? And uh, he has an absolutely amazing story uh, of his own life. So I'm inviting him to uh, come and minister one weekend for us uh, next year, 2016. And uh, he'll be speaking at both campuses at that time. We're going to spend about five or six minutes right now praying together. And, and what I'd like you to do is if everyone could stand together, stretch those uh, limbs of yours and I want you to break into groups of three, four or five people. We've got some uh, points that we're going to put up on the screen right now. We're going to pray for persecutors, pray for the persecuted, 
Pray that we may draw closer to God in doing this, and then pray for each other as well. Um, you might find there's someone in your group that's facing persecution or conflict or a difficult situation uh, at the moment, and there might be other things that you want to pray for as well. And so can I just encourage you, break into groups now, and spend uh, five or six minutes, pray together uh, on, the, on these issues. Thanks so much.